Thank you, Drama Group. What a wonderful way of teaching the Word. And what a pleasure it is, an honor for me to be asked to speak to our fellow members at Grace. This has been our church home, Margaret, and mine for the last 10 years. And to show how the Lord works in wonderful ways, I wasn't so sure yesterday I could talk today at all. But as my good friend Fred Miller says, when you're working for the boss, things turn out. And with each passing service, my voice is getting stronger, which doesn't mean it gets longer and longer, but thanks be to God. They say that you can take a teacher out of a classroom, but you can't take the classroom out of the teacher. And after 40 years in the classroom, I can attest to that. Most of the things I approach, I approach as a teacher. And so when it comes to giving a message on Sunday morning, I look at it as a lecture. So if you look in your church bulletin, the outline of the sermon is in there. This will help you to figure out what I'm saying. You don't have to take a lot of notes. And the second benefit is that you can tell when I finish, when I get to the bottom, cut it. And also it has a homework assignment there. And of course, next time there'll be a short quiz. <laughs> You may have noticed that last Sunday and this Sunday, the Gospel reading both dealt with John the Baptist. There must be a reason for that. It must mean that we should place special emphasis on the life and work of John. Why? Why? Well, have you ever wondered why we call ourselves Lutherans? Luther put it very simply. He put it in Latin, but I uh, put it in English. A Lutheran is a person who believes that our faith is grounded on scriptures alone, not on church conventions, not on bishops, not on anything but what God says in his word. Secondly, it is grounded on the grace of God. Salvation is a free gift of God. And thirdly, our salvation is based on our faith. Scriptures, grace, and faith is what makes a person a Lutheran. If you want to impress somebody in Latin, you say sola scriptura, sola gratia, and sola fide. And since that's about the extent of my Latin, I'll quit there. But it means if it's not in scriptures, don't give it to me as the word of God. If it's not the pure grace of God in which we are saved and that we have to do all kinds of other things, it's no good. And it's by faith. Not just say it, but mean it. Now, <clears throat> number one on your outline as an introduction of how to use John the Baptist as our role model is the fact that Jesus said, that John the Baptist was the greatest human being who ever lived. That's a big mouthful. That's big. The greatest human being who ever lived. When you ask somebody who's the greatest, well, we start thinking of different attributes. Well, who's the smartest? Who's the smartest? 
Parade Magazine on Sunday morning, there's a column by a woman who says she has the highest IQ in the world, according to the Guinness Book of Records. I called the Guinness Book of Records, and they said it's not in there. <laughs> they said it used to be. It used to be in there 10 years ago that she has an IQ of 225. That was measured when she was 10. Well, okay. But the Bible says there is somebody much smarter. First Bible passage in today's sermon, 1 Kings 10, 23 and 24, where we read, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Another place in Kings it says, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man. How can you beat that? What else do you need? God gave him this wisdom because he asked him for it. But then follow the life of Solomon a little further. I like to watch biography on Channel 44. And it is true that in a great many cases, the people on that biography show start out great. They go after greatness. They become great, and they end up as failures. They end up miserably. They don't know what to do with the riches they've amassed, the wisdom, what all, because their life is not founded on spiritual integrity. It's founded on the things of this world, and they look and act miserable. Solomon was no exception. I always forget, was it 300 wives and 700 concubines or the other way around? But can you imagine 1,000 women nagging him? And that was his undoing. That was his undoing. 1 Kings 11-14 14 says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Although the Lord had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. Solomon ended up as the smartest fool who ever lived. Well, what else makes great? Strength? Strength. We put a lot of emphasis on it. We're very proud of our grandson, Austin, who is the quarterback of the Washington University football team in St. Louis and led his team to the national playoffs a few weeks ago, holds a weightlifting record. The greatest. We like to admire strength. Well, who was the strongest of all? Probably Samson. Second passage today. Judges 16.3. Try to picture this on the 11 o'clock news. Samson got up in the middle of the night and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill. Their strength, real strength. What did he do with it? He also became a fool. Listen to this. First of all, if John had been as strong as Samson, John the Baptist, he would not have had to stay in prison when King Herod imprisoned him. 
he could have torn the bars apart and kept going and preach. He was not that strong. But what did Samson do with all that strength? To the glory of God? Hardly. He turned into a fool. Judges 16, 17, we read, Samson told Delilah, no razor has been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a person who is pledged to the Lord, does not drink wine, keeps himself pure. I have been set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Exactly what happened. And incidentally, she did not cut his hair. If you want to use that for a little quiz. Did Delilah cut Samson's hair? She did not. She called guys in to do the job. Samson became the strongest fool of the Old Testament. So what did make John the greatest? Why did Jesus call him the greatest? He did no miracles. One passage in the Bible says that John the Baptist did not do any miracles. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 11:11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So we might well use that as a role model. So what makes him great? I ran across one other reference that is very interesting as far as John the Baptist as a role model is concerned. You have probably heard the name Sacagawea. Sacagawea was the girl Indian guide for the Lewis and Clark expedition. I just finished reading a 500-page book about that expedition. It's unbelievable what those people went through. And here was this 15-year-old girl with a newborn baby in the hardships of the Rocky Mountains with her husband to the Pacific Ocean and back. They never would have made it without her. What did she call her little baby boy? She called him Jean-Baptiste, John the Baptist. And it is interesting that after they returned, Clark of the Lewis and Clark expedition wanted to take the little baby back to St. Louis and bring him up as a Christian. And Sacagawea said, let me keep him for a while, and then I will send him. And she did. And Jean-Baptiste of Sacagawea was raised in St. Louis. What a remarkable side story that should be in the history books along with all the other baloney that is in many of the books. That has real importance. I'm told that there's going to be a special medal printed by the U.S. Mint. Uh, with Sacagawea on it. I called them and they said we don't know yet or it is not out yet but it will be and there's something I'd like to get for a coin collection. Let's go to number two. What was it that John did that was great? Jesus didn't say why he called him the greatest. He leaves it up to us. You'll figure it out. You'll read the Bible. See what made him great and do likewise. First of all, I noticed that, that John lived very simply. He didn't chase money. He didn't blow his own horn. He lived simply. Matthew 3, verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. 
Locusts are the most frequently mentioned insects in the Bible, by the way. They were allowed for food by the Levitical law. Listen to Leviticus 11.22. You may eat any kind of locust, katydid, cricket, or grasshopper, but all other winged creatures that have four legs you are to detest. No problem. I have no problem detesting them. But I am told that roasted locusts taste like shrimp. And you can get them in fancy stores for good money. They take the wings off, the legs off, and roast them. Tastes like shrimp. It doesn't say that's all he ate. He could have steak, but if somebody eats locusts, that's what you're going to say. If you go to a restaurant and have locusts or appetizer and a steak for the main course, the people later aren't going to mention the steak. They say, I got to eat locusts. One commentator I ran across said, no, they got it all wrong. It didn't mean locusts. It meant locust beans. A locust bean is a name for a carob, C-A-R-O-B. You know what that tastes like if you crush it? Chocolate. Was John the Baptist the first chocoholic? <laughs> well, I don't go along with that. Grasshopper, meat, and wild honey. Honey is good. I used it on my throat this morning. It's not quite as good as the water there, but it helps. It coats your throat. The land of milk and honey. He ate simple, healthy food. He was also a Nazarite. God told his father before he was born, John will not drink any wine. In that respect, he resembled the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, who also became strong and wise, partly because he lived simply. Daniel 1.8 said, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food. You can imagine the royal food piled high. It was no good for him. He told his servants, just bring me vegetables. He doesn't say we have to be vegetarians. John the Baptist was not a vegetarian, but the prophet Daniel was, and he became wise and strong. Simple, healthy living is one lesson from John the Baptist as a role model. Secondly, John told things the way they were. He didn't go around saying, you're okay, I'm okay. All religions lead to the same heaven. All people worship the same God. If that were true, why do we have a mess in the world? Why are people shooting each other in schools? Why are there wars all over the world? If everybody's worshiping the same God, there must be something we're doing wrong. Well, we are. And John pointed to what it was all about. He called a sin a sin. The passage I have there is Matthew 3, 7. Listen to this. When John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine being a Pharisee and coming out here? There's a rally out in the desert here. It's a great preacher. And the first thing he says to you, you're a snake. John knew who they were. They knew who they were. They knew they were hypocrites. They gave a lot of money to the church, but they did it as a big show. And John said, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
Show me what you believe. Don't tell me about it. One man I heard yesterday said, Show me your sermon. Don't preach it to me. By their fruits you shall know them. And the Pharisees did not bear fruit. Jesus called them the same thing. A little later when he was in the desert, he said, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? A person who is evil, unrepentant, cannot say or do anything good in the sight of God. He can give all his belongings away. He can rule the world. If he's not right with God, he is no good. Matthew 23:33. Jesus again, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's putting it pretty plainly. A lot of religions don't preach about hell anymore. Thank God our church still does. Many televangelists don't talk about hellfire. They're talking about feeling good about yourself and sending a contribution. You vipers, if you are not right with God, you're going to hell. He denounced King Herod and the woman he was living with for committing adultery, his brother's wife. And for that he was put in prison. What was the result of his fame out in the desert? He was put in prison for telling the truth. He was similar to the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament at the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. The very word Jezebel is synonymous with evil today. And told them they were evil because they worshipped false gods. He was in danger of his life most of the time for King Ahab and Jezebel chasing him to kill him. He told it like it was. You want to be great? Tell it like it is. Then you don't have to figure out later, what did I say? If you cover up something and tell it like they want to hear, you have to remember later, now what was it I said? But if you tell the truth, it's always the same. And finally, John did not start a cult. I don't know if you caught Fred Miller on TV Friday night talking about the Moonies. The reason they asked him, they didn't ask him to come, they sent a limo out here to take him to New York City for a 15-minute interview and brought him back out because Fred is a leading authority on cults. And the announcer asked him what it is about the Moonies that we're worried about. And the thing is that the Reverend Moon has just purchased a large piece of land in South America and he wants to take a lot of his followers down there and, and what? And do what? What does that conjure up in your mind? Jones, the Jones suicide pact. Because the Reverend Moon has said recently that he's ready to turn 80 now He's coming to the end of his life, but he's going to rule from the spirit world, and he wants people to follow him. That's called a cult. If somebody says, follow me, follow me, I have the truth. We don't know what Moon is going to do. We're worried. People are paying thousands of dollars to follow him to South America. Lots of people. How can they be that dumb? The devil has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And one is to say, there's your leader. 
he will take you to the promised land. I hope to God it's not true. It's going to be a suicide pact. But let's pray to the Lord that Moon, who claims to get letters from Jesus and Buddha and all the other leaders of the past who want him to continue and finish his work, will not succeed. John did not do that. He did not start a cult. In today's gospel we read, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Compare that with the, the Reverend Moon who says, I am greater than Christ. Christ has asked me to complete his work. How arrogant can you be? Well, let's go down to part three. What did John do when he said, I am not the Christ? He pointed his hearers to Jesus. There is the Christ. Who told John that? Who told John that Jesus was the Christ? I have the passage, John 1, 32 to 34. And if you get time at home, please go over these and discuss them. We don't have time in a short message to do all that. But here's what John said about who told him the truth. John said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Where do we go to find out the truth. Who tells us that Jesus is the Savior? The Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. He has to lead us. We need to ask him, Spirit of truth, tell us where to find the truth. Which one of these people running around saying, we are teaching truth, are telling us truth? Send us to your scriptures to find out who is the Christ. And it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And then John said, follow him. Don't just say he is the Christ. That doesn't get you anywhere. Follow him. And the next part, I differ. You know, I told you in the beginning, it doesn't say why Jesus called him the greatest. I'm making my guesses. You make yours. But make sure they are consistent with the rest of Scripture. John said to his disciples, go and follow Jesus. Listen to this passage, Matthew 11, 2-3. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? A lot of commentators and Bible teachers say, toward the end of his life, John the Baptist was beginning to waver and have doubts whether Jesus is the Savior. To me, that doesn't mesh at all with Jesus calling John the Baptist the greatest human being who ever lived. As a teacher, I believe that John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus because he knew that the best way to teach is for people to learn it for themselves. You can't learn somebody. You can teach, 
but you can't learn somebody. They have to learn. And you learn not by somebody yelling at you, but by experiencing it. We used to have a joke in college that a lecture is the process whereby the notes of the professor become the notes of the students without going through the mind of either one. And that's often true. You can even do it on the internet now. You don't have to go to class. You can call the professor's notes up and they'll go. And the professor on TV was lamenting that he might be fired. Why do you need him? John sent his listeners to Jesus and said, you ask him. Don't take my word for it. That's teaching. That's real teaching. And it goes further. The disciples went to Jesus and said, are you the one? And he didn't say, I am. He said, go. The lame are walking. The blind see. You decide. Only when you decide what the truth is, is it the truth for you. You don't get into heaven by saying, my teacher said this. God says, what do you think? What do you think? John told his listeners to follow Jesus and sent them there so that they would learn it on their own. And for this, two of the greatest teachers, rabbis is the name for teacher, John the Baptist and Jesus both gave their lives for the truth, not to be popular, for the truth, John gave up his life. Jesus gave up his life for the truth that we needed him. And without him doing that, we wouldn't have a chance. Now it's time to take your pencil out and write down the surprise ending. What's the surprise? Listen to this. Matthew 11, 11. Jesus is speaking. I tell you the truth. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. How can Jesus say that John the Baptist is the greatest human being who ever lived and then tell you and me that we can be greater? He doesn't say it. What do you think? We had a 30-minute round table now. We could go around the room. And if it's a good round table, as a good leader, I would say to everybody, you're right. As a good teacher, you never knock a student and say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. He'll never speak again. Everybody speaks what he thinks. And that's right. He thinks it. Well, I have one theory. may not be true. It is for me. And that is that we, you and I, can be greater than John the Baptist and are greater than John the Baptist if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. John never saw that. John did not live to see Jesus die on the cross and rise. We know about it, so we're greater. We're one up on John. He had to live on prophecy. We live on fulfillment. We were discussing in my Bible class last Wednesday night this question of are some people greater in heaven than others? If you do certain things, will you shine like the stars and others not? My father used to say, I don't want to be the greatest in heaven. I just want to be inside the door when it closes. Now that's humility. And that, I think, is the greatest because very few people have it. But this morning, 
one of the members of my class came before the services and said, without knowing that this was going to be the sermon at all, and said, I found the answer to our question last Wednesday night about different degrees of salvation. And she quoted Matthew 11, 11 and said, he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That's called closure in teaching, when things are answered and the answer keeps repeating. How can that be? Through the Spirit of God can convince us of sin, can lead us to Christ, can help us to follow him, and then, as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that's on A, the blank. You write Matthew 11.11. We can be greater than John the Baptist through faith in Christ's atoning death and resurrection. What's B? It's the assignment. It's no good in school if you don't have any homework. You ask the kids when they go, oh, we don't have homework in school. Well, get to a different one. There, there was a segment the other night on the new math. There's a new math every few years. But in this new math, there are no multiplication tables, nothing. And this one fellow on TV had two children. One knew his multiplication tables. 72 divided by 9, 8, right away off the bat. Asked his daughter, what's 72 divided by 9? I have to think about it. We don't have to do that in school anymore. Well, the homework assignment is go out and do what John did and point people to Jesus. Why not use this as a quiz? There are quizzes on TV making big money. Who wants to be a millionaire? Well, do you want to be more than a millionaire? What's good is that the Bible said if you own the whole world, lose your own soul. Give the people a quiz. You know who the wisest guy was? Solomon. You know who the strongest was? Samson. Who the greatest? Then you got him. You can be the greatest. You can be the greatest and then quote Jesus. In the spirit of our drama group and the last prayer that we saw that, which was really pleasing to God through humility, let us close with a prayer to do our homework properly. Dear Lord, give each of us the courage and strength to carry out our homework assignment as Christians, especially at this busy holiday time. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.